Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe Resinello. and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area as always we ask you to please if you like all the content at Veritas, download the app. You'll have access to everything. You can share it with your friends. And wherever you find Joe and I on social media, primarily the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube, the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube. Help us out, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Uh, today, we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program a friend of the show, Kristen Van Uden. And we thank all of you out there who listen to the front line with Joe and Joe by now know who Kristen is. Having said that, uh, Kristen Van Uden serves as an author, spokesperson at Sophia Institute Press. She received her MA in history from the College of William and Mary and her BA in history and Russian from St. Anselm College. She studies the persecution of Catholics under communist regimes. She's been featured on a wide range of media platforms, including Coast to Coast AM, The Federalist, and the Catholic Faith Network. Today, we're going to be discussing um, a new book out from Sophia Press, The Diary of St. Gemma Galgani by St. Gemma Galgani. Um, so, uh, when, Kristen, when did that, uh, when was that released? This was released a couple months ago, so I think the beginning of the summer. Okay. Um, and I don't know much about St. Gemma Galgani. I'm going to be honest with you. So <laughs> I'm we're, we're, I'm going to be learning as much as the audience about her. I understand it's a very uh, compelling story, but so we'll jump right into it. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you again for coming yeah. back to the show. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to hand it over to, uh, to Joe Resinello. Well, as always, as you both know, we always start with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, our most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Um, basically, as Joe said, uh, Kristen, um, I guess a good place to start is who is Saint Gemma? I mean, we were talking a little bit uh, before the show. My wife has a picture of Saint Gemma in our home. She's a very attractive uh, woman. She has very nice eyes. You know, you know. Obviously, she's Italian. Uh, we always talk about Italians on the show. That, that, that's of course. Part of the <laughs> so another great Italian <laughs> saint. <Italians. people. laughs> um, but tell us. I, I, I think it's a good starting. Uh, you know, jumping off board. Who is Gemma? Sure. So quick biographical sketch. St. Gemma Golgani was one of these contemporary saints who, as you mentioned, we do have photographs of. So always very interesting to see what the saints actually looked like. She lived from 1878 to 1903. So she died at a quite a young age at 25. And she throughout her life was a mystic. So she had visions not only of our Lord himself, but also Our Lady, her guardian angel, 
a few saints who will discuss souls from purgatory that she helped get to heaven, and also, on the other side of all that, demons, as in the life of many of heroic sanctity, especially the mystics such as Padre Pio, we see that they are physically assaulted by demons at points because they can't get to them through other ways. Gemma always felt that she had a vocation to be a passionist nun, and we see that she was unable to live out this vocation in the conventional manner. She was continually denied entry to that local convent due to her health. Um, one of the things she's patronesses of is back pain. So she grew up with spinal meningitis. Uh, she describes in some of her letters, the apparatus she had to wear really sounds like a torture device, all these meta, uh, like 34 points of metal attachments and just sounded very painful. And then ultimately died, I believe it was of tuberculosis. So she struggled with poor health throughout her life and offered up all of that suffering. And so we see that she had to live out this passionist vocation, which God placed in her in the world. And this made it much more difficult for Gemma because the conveniences of the convent and the time that would have been able to be devoted to prayer and to meditation, especially to fostering her mystic vocation, was just not available to her at home. She lived with extended family, and we'll see that they were quite hostile to her prayer life, to her mysticism particularly. Her younger sister, Angelina, would harass Gemma throughout the day, make fun of her, make it impossible for Gemma to have time to pray, and things like that. And so these temptations that Gemma faced out in the world are really one of the most inspirational parts of reading her diary, I think, because most of us obviously live in the world and we're faced with these distractions every day. And so to see somebody with such an elevated vocation living that out in a, in a secular setting um, was quite interesting. <clears throat> Finally, the, the crowning... Um, I guess, way that she lived out this passionist vocation was when she was granted the gift of the stigmata for the final three years of her life. So the stigmata would appear every Thursday evening to coincide with the beginning of the passion with the agony in the garden and be removed by Jesus himself either on Saturday or Sunday. So she lived out the passion physically and spiritually and emotionally each week. Um, this was temporary, so it was only during the, that three-day triduum period. And in addition to the five wounds, she also had the wounds of the crown of thorns. So she depicts in her diary our Lord himself placing the crown of thorns on her head and then coming to take it off at the end of each of these periods. Um, according to her letters, she also, in addition to these wounds, had the gashes on her knees from where our Lord fell on the way of the cross up to Calvary. So really intense amount of physical suffering. Um, she died at the age of 25. So before this, obviously, she wrote this short diary of, of her short life, um, inspired by her spiritual director. He actually ordered her to do this. So the first half of it is an autobiography of her life up until the age of 21. And then from there on, uh, she makes more or less weekly entries, a couple times a week, um, daily updates. And so it's always very edifying to read the saints in their own words, because when we read hagiographies, we tend to uh, not whitewash, but not really understand the the pain and the struggle that they go through. And reading Gemma in her own words will discuss some of the things that really um, are emphasized, such as her her acute awareness of sin, for example, but also just makes clear that this this road to sainthood is not easy, and this insight that we gain from her own psyche is very valuable. And um, there's an interesting story about how the diary actually was preserved too, but maybe we can get into that later.
No, no, we definitely will. Kristen Van Uding is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're discussing St. Gemma Galgani and her diary, which is out from Sophia Institute Press. Kristen, I can hear somebody out there probably asking this question. So I'm going to ask you this question. Why does God allow that pain and suffering for those who seemingly are very devoted to him? Okay. St. Gemma was obviously devoted to Christ, Our Lady, um, the church. Okay. Why does God allow that? Why is this? Why would we, as, as, as the church, when I say we, describe this as a gift when it seems to be an affliction? Can you explain mm -hmm. that to, to our audience? You know, anybody who might be asking that question? Yes, of course. So it's that Catholic principle that we discuss uh, time and again of efficacious suffering, right? So that our suffering does not we don't we do not suffer in vain it's not just an earthly thing that we can in fact unite that suffering as minor as it may be even an inconvenience throughout the day or as major as it can be as with the immense pain and suffering that saint gemma endured to unite that to the suffering of jesus on the cross and to use that to convert sinners pray for the souls in purgatory and also expiate for our own sins so this thirst for love and suffering, and Gemma actually entitles one of her chapters, Thirst for Love and Suffering, is really a grace to be given that because many of us, I think, do this very begrudgingly. We know in principle that this is how it works. And so you kind of have to force yourself throughout the day to offer things up. But what was very inspirational about all the lives of the saints, but was very apparent in reading Gemma's words is how she began to actually crave the suffering because she knew that it would bring her closer to Jesus and would also work conversions in, in the hearts of people around her, would convert sinners and would aid aid souls in purgatory as well. So that that grace to be given not only the understanding of how suffering can be efficacious, but also the complete desire for it is such a, a testament to how advanced she was in the spiritual life. Thank you for that, Kristen. I appreciate the, uh, the explanation on that. And I'm sure our audience members do also Joe Restinello. It's, it's funny. Um, a few years ago, I brought a, a subject up about saints at my job. And I said, only saints are remembered. If you think about it, think about things like that have been created. Um, they come and they go, even big things, you know, big companies, big banks, um, ideas, big empires, <laughs> gone. but saints are remembered. They're remembered like, you know, take St. Francis, 12th century, people still talking about Francis, Dominic, still talking about him. Nothing lasts except saints. And the thing I find interesting, and this is what I want to bring up, is she died at 25. Look how much God did through her in just a short amount of time. If you think about even Jesus's ministry, three years, three years. Gosh, I've wasted more than three years of my life, Kristen, doing things I don't even want to talk about. But I'm just saying that time just goes by. Three years, the man changed history. Time was split in two. Let's like think about that from our perspective. You know, here we are, you know, in time, people are listening to us. What we can do in a short amount of time, if we unite ourselves with God's will, how he can use us. Because she was, listen, I mean, obviously she's a mystic. You know, she was a quote unquote chosen person. I mean, not everyone is that person, but she was a person nonetheless, and she lived for a very short amount of time, and here we are talking about her. 
Who are we talking about from 100 years ago? Never. They're all gone. You know what I mean? But we're talking about her. What are your thoughts on that? Because I, I think about that sometimes. Like, everyone wants to be great if you talk to people. Everybody in their own, like, little way, whether you're doing this or doing that, you're a sports figure. What's your legacy? Everyone talks about that. Your legacy is holiness. That's how we could be great. And she is still remembered. She's gone 100 years. Here we are. We're talking about her. Um, what do you, Both of you guys, what do you guys think about that? I think about that because, to be honest with you, I think that's how we all could leave a mark on the world. Go ahead, yeah, Kristen. Well, well, one thing that comes to mind is how inconsequential Gemma's life was by worldly standards. And unlike Padre Pio, she did not have these lines of people lining up to see her, despite the fact that she had the stigmata and she did not have this cult of personality around her during her lifetime for the most part. And so this, uh, she, she lived her life in this great humility in this very small sphere of influence where she she rarely left her hometown because of her illnesses and a lot of this experience of her life was completely internal and in this deep intimacy with our lord with our um her conversations with our lady with her guardian angel and so by worldly standards this was just a sick <laughs> a sick girl and uh they even at one point, doctors would come to examine her stigmata, and one secular, presumably atheist doctor, tried to claim that she had self-inflicted it with a sewing needle and all of this. So by this, this worldly standard, she was, as I said, completely inconsequential, but we know that the Lord's ways are not our ways, and so we're not judging by earthly standards. And ironically, only after their death, when they are ascending into the communion of saints, do saints such as Gemma really manifest this, this power that comes from God that is only to orient people towards God. It's its only purpose. And so she has become so much more obviously popular and well-known after her death and canonization process. And it just confounds the standards of the world and shows us how worldly standards are really just vanities. I think I think the, one of the things that I find hopeful about the way we view saints, even the way people outside the church, I mean, uh, you know, Vladimir Lenin, I believe it was Lenin who famously said, give me 10 men like Francis of Assisi, or if I had 10 men like Francis of Assisi, I would have changed the world. Now, there's, there's, a re there's recognition, even from the secular world, of something different. There's just now we know what that is. We know that that's that's an infusion of God's grace that goes to a whole new level. OK, with these people and their willingness to cooperate with that grace. OK, that's what they do on there. And then again, I, I, if I'm speaking, I don't think I'm saying anything wrong with saying it. I view it as obviously you mentioned God's power, but their uber, let's put it like this, uber willingness to cooperate with that grace. That's what people recognize. That's what their longevity is. That's why they change the world, because people look at them and, and say, that's that's really that's kind of like not possible. Well, actually, it is. You could live that kind. Padre Pio, St. Francis, St. Tom, all the saints. You know, mm -hmm. when you think about the early church, when you think about like the first, you know, St. Stephen. I always think about St. Stephen. How difficult must it have been for him to, 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 to go up in front of the, you know, the, the, the leadership at the time, okay, and mm -hmm. accuse them uh, as he did and then get killed for it, all right? That's, that's, that stays with you because it shows just how much power God has to everybody else who might be watching. That's the way I see it. 
That's why I think that's why I think Saints are 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 so widely recognized. And you could even Joe always brings up uh, Malcolm Muggeridge's uh, response to Mother Teresa, you know, an atheist who converts because of the example of her. So uh, that that's that. Those are my thoughts, Kristen. If, if you have any comments yeah, on that, I think right. Even secular people sense something different, and that these these saints are people set apart, but. Also, another good litmus test for this is the hatred that these people sometimes endure. Um, I'm trying to find the quote, and I can't find it, but it's something to the effect of the the good, when they do not convert, really instead might draw the ire of the wicked because they they see how good they are. And as, as we've seen in the life of Jesus himself, the, the hatred that was levied upon him for that goodness. So the, there's definitely this this ability to sense the holy and then depending on the person's state in life that can either be a motivation to them to convert and to move closer to god or to entirely reject that person as a as an utter rejection of god himself thank you for that Kristen van uden joining us at the front line with joe and joe if you're just joining us we are discussing saint we're discussing uh saint Gemma galgani her diary all right, which is out from Sophia Institute Press. We encourage you to go and buy the book. We all can are going to learn a lot from saints, and Saint Gemma is no exception. Joe Resinello. You mentioned uh Kristen um earlier that she basically had encounters with Jesus crucified, our lady and her guardian angel, as well as demons. Could you talk a little bit about that? I think that's interesting. Yes. So Saint Gemma really on an almost yeah. a daily basis would have these visions and they were often with, with jesus the message she was not given any prophecies as visionaries sometimes are the message was really just love and for her to grow closer and to purify herself and also of course to pray for sinners and to pray for the souls in purgatory uh one grace that she was granted was given she was given the mission to pray for a specific soul in purgatory which was a certain mother maria teresa of the local passionist convent who was the mother superior there and had recently died Gemma had never met her but she of course had this connection to the passionists and so she prayed and suffered for her jesus would remind her to offer up her suffering specifically for this woman and then when mother maria teresa ascended into heaven from purgatory she appeared to Gemma to thank her for all of her suffering for her so she was given these these small tasks as a victim soul to be able to offer up her immense suffering and she was simultaneous well something that i found interesting about her visions was that often our Lord himself, Our Lady, and especially her guardian angel would provide Gemma with sort of a tough love. So this wasn't all consolation all the time. So her guardian angel especially was pretty hard on her. And she actually uses the words, he yelled at me a lot. And um, she describes Our Lady sort of withholding uh, her visits if Gemma had done something wrong or if there was something that she was trying to get her to work on in the spiritual or moral life. So if Gemma had, had sinned, then Our Lady would... And Gemma describes it as she was slower to forgive. Of, of course, she forgave, but as Gemma puts it, she wanted her to be perfect. So she would use these, as any good parent would, as any good mother would, these tactics to get Gemma to turn her life into the right direction. Her guardian angel in particular admonished Gemma 
on a frequent basis for sin and for temptation. So Gemma is also a patroness against temptation. And this is because of this temptation to worldliness that she suffered, but also because, as we'll get into later, the demons, when they appeared to her, would, of course, physically hit her and pull her hair, things like that. But as she says, the worst thing that they did was try to tempt her to sin, because sin is the only thing that can cut us off from God and cut us off from God's grace. So they it didn't matter how much they physically assaulted her. If she consented her will to act against God, then that was the worst possible thing that they could bring her to. So her struggles against those temptations have earned her that title. But her guardian angel identified that Gemma's predominant fault, because even the most saintly people have them, was vanity. And this is something that Gemma worked on with her spiritual director, of course, as well. And it seems which is crazy to be discussing someone so holy in terms of predominant sins or faults, but to the heights of sanctity that she was called to, she was called to root out even this imperfection, even when it didn't cross over the line into sin necessarily. So the first time that Gemma's guardian angel appeared to her is when she had just received a new gold watch as a present. And so she was walking around town, kind of showing it off, just having conversations about, um, this piece of jewelry, which, you know, is not necessarily sinful. It's just something that is a bit worldly. And so her guardian angel admonished her and he said to her, remember that the precious jewelry that adorns a spouse of the crucified king can only be thorns and the cross. And from that moment on, Gemma gave away the watch. She <laughs> took off even a ring that she was wearing and really rededicated herself to, to rooting out this potential vanity. Uh, her guardian angel also admonished her at one time for taking part in this worldly conversation that her sisters had been having that she got in on at one point at home. Again, something that's not necessarily sinful. She said there was no sinful content to the conversation, no gossip or calumny or anything like that, but it was providing a distraction for Gemma and taking away from time that would have better been spent for her in prayer and recollection. And we can see this temptation to vanity also being rooted out in other ways where God even removes things that are good and objectively good in order to bring about a greater good. So the best example of this is that Gemma would take almsgiving walks. So she would take whatever was left from her meals at her house and also some spare change, go bring them to the poor, which was objectively, obviously a very good thing. Corporal work of mercy, helping people. But because this was serving as a temptation to worldliness, not even necessarily to sin, but just to distractions, to keeping her mind on worldly things rather than spiritual things, through her confessor, Gemma was forbidden to continue these walks. And she didn't understand it at the time. She couldn't imagine why God would be calling her to give up something that was so good. But she later evaluated and discovered, in her own words, she says, through this, Jesus worked in me a new conversion. The result was that I was no longer interested in clothes and all of those things. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. this helped her to advance in the spiritual life, even though at the time she didn't understand. So as this combination between um, great consolation, great moments where it sounds like like Teresa of Avila really harkens back to this just description of the intimacy that she shares with our Lord, which is really beyond words as she she tries to get it down on paper. But this this great love that she just truly experienced um, in a very intimate way, this this un, un, um, unity with the heart of our Lord. 
and also the soft glove that was helping her to advance and the um her guardian angel the most famous story from the book is after a particularly bad bout of suffering her guardian angel brought her a cup of coffee in bed so <laughs> it wasn't all tough love all the time they of course as knowing better than her would give her what she needed in that exact moment and knew when to lay off a little bit and what she needed at that particular time to advance she was italian we like good coffee <laughs> Go, gotta have the good deal. coffee. That is constant. So, you know, that, uh, listen, a nice cup of espresso, that is a, a really, that's a great consolation. And <laughs> it restored her to life. <laughs> there you go. Woke her up, too. Um, Kristen Van Uden joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Rasinello were discussing St. Gemma Galgani's diary that's out from, um, that's out from Sophia Press. Um, so I want to ask uh, before the break. So uh, you mentioned uh, Our Lord, Our Lady, her guardian angel, who was St. Gabriel Pacenti? And how did St. Gemma's devotion to him uh, have an impact on her life? Yes, so he was also known as St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows, and he was a local passionist monk from the same area of Italy. And I don't believe they were ever alive at the same time, but he had a very similar vocation to hers. He died at the age of 23. And different from her, though, his life, he he was a story of a conversion. So he lived pretty he lived a pretty debauched life for a while. It was very secular and worldly and then had this major conversion and progressed rapidly in the spiritual life. And he, from uh, at that time, he was only a venerable, so not yet canonized, but he would appear to Gemma as well, along with our Lord, our lady and her guardian angel. And he would come alone. Um, his, he would serve the same role as um, her guardian angel, pretty much with giving her, admonitions for temptation for bad behavior but also encouraging her in a spiritual life and helping her to grow in love for our lord and one interesting thing that he really helped her with was to fight against temptations he wore a belt that he would give her when she was uh, experiencing a particular bad bout of spiritual warfare and she would tie this belt around her and it would help her to overcome the temptations of the demons and so she developed really this beautiful kind of brother-sister relationship with him. And of course, as a passionist, he was very helpful to her in accepting that she was living out this passionist vocation in the world. And Gemma's quoted as saying that when she dies, she thinks Our Lady will be standing at the gates to heaven with a passionist habit for her. So this unique friendship with St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows is really, really moving to read um, the, the just sweet friendship they had, but also a very clear indicator of her intimacy with the passionists as well. Awesome. Joe Rasinello, we have about a couple minutes before the break. I want to, you know, just introduce this topic and then pick it up on the other side, because I think it's interesting. One of the best things I ever read was a book, real thick book on all the saints, and it gave an excerpt, all of them, like from a page to some of the more, you know, known saints, like St. Saint Dominic or Teresa of Avila, to someone like St. Gabriel Vicente you know, might be a paragraph, but there's common themes when you read the lives of the saints. And the most important thing is will. We talked about this a little bit er earlier, but I think we have to explore it more. God chooses people because of, the, in my view, what makes her any different than anybody? She was willing to surrender her will in a way that people, even holy people, aren't. 
like in in a very rat that's what makes you holy it's surrendering your will it's different from like secular genius like a genius in the world might be like i got a 1600 on the sat i went to mit uh, uh, you know i could i could dunk a basketball from the foul line i could throw the ball 120 miles an hour not everyone could do that but not everyone's willing to surrender their will that's how you become a saint. Do we have time for this, Joe, or do we have want to bring? No, it you today? can introduce the time. We're going to go to a break right now. Okay, because uh, I, I want to talk we'll, about that. Because I think it, no, I think it's a great, I, I think it's a great conversation. It's like we we do have to conform our will to God's. We have to not only be willing to do it, but actually do it. So no, it's a it's a good topic. We'll we'll come back after the break with Kristen Van Uden joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're talking about somebody who did have that will, Saint Gemma Galgani. All right, and her diary, the diary of Saint Gemma. Uh, is out from Sophia Institute Press. Kristen's joining us here to talk about that. So you're with the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello in the breach. As saints always went into the breach, we're trying to be saints, so we're going into the breach. Um, on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. So stick around. We have Kristen Van Uden for another segment on St. Gemma Galgani. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, we are way in the Breach with Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Institute Press, a friend of the program. We're discussing a recent uh, release from Sophia, The Diary of St. Gemma Galgani. And before the break, we introduced, you know, we've been talking about saints in the first segment, specifically St. Gemma, um, and different things, the qualities that saints have. So to bring you up to speed, if you're just joining us here, we ended the last segment uh, with, a, with a comment. Joe had a comment about the need to go. Well, go ahead, Joe, and then you could, you could kick it over to Kristen. I was just talking about the will. Like, obviously, like the Blessed Mother, because she was perfect, she completely surrendered her will. Because saints, no one was as perfect as her, even the holiest of saints, like St. Saint Joseph, or say, St. Francis, or St. Dominic, the biggies. But I mean, like, that's no easy thing to do. Just to say that. You like to say, like, I surrender my will. Really? God might call you on that in a way that, like, will scare the daylights out of you. you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, <laughs> like I'm sorry to laugh, but the way the, the way you said it's true. It might, yeah, yeah, it could really scare you. Yeah, no joke. I mean, like, <laughs> like think about like what God has asked people to do. Um, this is how we become a saint. But here's the deal. To go to heaven, you know, our road may not be as smooth, meaning we're going to spend more time in purgatory. But we all, all people in heaven are saints. That's how you get in. We're just not recognized by the church, and a saint is nothing more than an example for the faithful. But that will has to be surrendered in order to go to heaven. And that's no easy. You mentioned that, like, that's no easy deal to do. And I think we got to talk about that because I think a lot of people, you know, we tick boxes, we go to church, you know, we don't commit mortal sin, you know, we, we, try to live virtuous lives, we fail, we get up, we go to confession. 
But you know something? The will is big, and we have to bend our knee. You know, and I'll just leave one more thought, and then I'll throw it to both of you. I have young children, and sometimes I can't kneel at church. I can't because I have kids on my lap. And, you know, there's, you know, it's calling for a kneeling, you know, at the consecration. I can't. But I think to myself, it's more important that my will kneels than my body right now. Like, that's more important. I, I wish I could kneel. I can't. I have kids on my lap. I think we have to focus on that as Catholics, not sometimes just doing what we're supposed to do, which is important. Don't get me wrong. But will, we have to surrender it. That's not easy. And and what do you, you know, like, let's just open that up. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent point. And especially when examined in the context of the life of St. Gemma, because with mystics who have been given extraordinary signs of God's grace, such as the stigmata, it's really easy to fall into the trap of seeing that as the means of their sanctity and the fact that she was granted these visions as the reason she's a saint. And that's actually not true, is that these were extraordinary graces given on top of the real spiritual work that happened inside her soul, and that was conforming her will perfectly to that of God's. So even if she had not been given these visions and revelations, then she still could have been a saint because of that conforming of her will. And so that is where the matter of her sanctity really lies. That is in her surrender to God's will and her acceptance of suffering, whatever suffering it may be that he sent to her, he just chose to send her this extraordinary suffering. So it's one of the principles in another Sophia book called Visions and Revelations by um, Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene really explains this well, that visions and revelations are secondary and accidental to the spiritual life. And their purpose is not to be something that is focused on exclusively for their own sake, but rather to move the soul to work in virtue and to move the soul to progress in these more basic level things, such as unity with the will of God. And if they are ever serving the opposite purpose of leading souls away from focusing on those very basic building blocks of practice of the faith, then they're a distraction and they're not from, from God. So that's one of the ways you can discern whether a vision is true or false is, is it inspiring you to recommit to a prayer life and to recommit to virtue and grow in this, this unitive way with God. So for St. Gemma, clearly these visions served that purpose, but even without them, she would have been able to become a saint. And one of the things that we we see this actively in the life of St. Gemma is how her visions helped her to come to a more accurate picture of sin and what sin really is. So one of the things that really comes through and is very shocking and just really hits you when you're reading this book is her acute awareness of sin. And it's because she had this mystical relationship with Jesus that she could see how painful each of her sins was to the heart of Jesus and how she was able to achieve perfect contrition, as we've discussed before on the program, where she was sorry for her sins, not because of a fear of hell or because of an understanding of sin, but because they wounded God. Um, here on page 60, she describes how Jesus, after one of her visions, she came to the realization that, quote, I have treated him only with coldness and indifference, and in exchange, he has given me only signs of infinite love. So that sounds like a lot, the like the epitaph under the pictures of the Sacred Heart. And for 
Gemma, who is obviously so advanced to even come to that understanding of her own unworthiness, speaks to her great humility and how her mystical visions were pushing her to get to that point of understanding her own helplessness before God and her own fallen nature and how she had to rely completely on God. So we see that she did not develop a spiritual pride because of these visions. That would have been a bad sign. Instead, she developed even a greater humility because she understood how bad she was and how sinful she was. Um, she's reported as collapsing sometimes when sinful things were discussed, and she would go into these just fits of of weeping and sadness um, and even collapse when contemplating her own sins and her past life of sin. So it's always a, a sign of sanctity when someone believes themselves to be sinful because the person who says, I am not a sinner is probably so prideful that they can't see those sins and probably one of the greatest sinners of all. So that orientation towards humility and the development of those basic virtues were a byproduct of these visions. And that is why we can we can piece together one of the reasons that Gemma was granted these. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's funny when you say that, like some people, some people actually think that they don't sin. Um, yeah. And that might sound like judgmental on my part to say, uh, well, no, we, we all sin. I think with St. John, again, I'm not a, you know, I don't, I don't do chapter and verse on, on scripture, but I think St. John wrote, um, you know, those who say they have no sin are, are liars and God is not in them. Something I'm paraphrasing, but something along the line. I mean, it's necessary. It's, it's humility. Um, we, the, uh, you know, the reading recently, uh, I believe it was yesterday, um, at mass uh, was, uh, was the tax collector and the Pharisee. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's about humility. It's recognizing, no, I'm a sinner. I'm, you know, I'm in need of, of forgiveness. I'm in need of grace to overcome myself. I think that's the problem with the will is that, yeah, I mean, this is the age old story is that we give into the, the world, the flesh and the devil. We give into our temptations. We don't want to be, we don't want to experience discomfort. You know, I don't, I'm not going to lie. You know, you know I, I like sitting here on Sunday, you know, having a scotch and watching a jet game. I do. I don't want to be by and, and closing the phone. Now, not that that's sinful. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But, but, you know, uh, we, we like to have our, our, our comforts and we don't like to be discomforted. All right. And, and I think that's, you know, that's why we need grace. That's it. Um, and so let me segue from that. Kristen Van Newton joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. That's why we need grace. Grace primarily. I mean, we know we get it from the sacraments, but what brings us to the sacraments uh, foundationally is prayer. And St. Gemma had something to say about, um, you know, to, about prayer, struggles with prayer. I struggle with prayer. I'm, I'll never lie on this program. I struggle just like everybody else, okay? I struggle with prayer. I struggle sometimes being consistent. Well, I, I'm glad I'm in good company with St. Because St. Gemma, she struggled with prayer too. Talk about that a little bit. Um, because it is a common occurrence in the life of, uh, of Catholics is sometimes that dryness or struggling or hesitation or not in the mood laziness Kristen, i'm going to just throw it over to you sure so she struggled with prayer in several ways number one was the distractions ex externally that she had to face living in a home that was not set up for prayer whatsoever hectic and as we said before her family was sometimes hostile to her prayer life and so at one point her guardian angel had to bar the door so that she could pray herself um and so, yeah, she had to, especially she, she, the words she uses to describe going into ecstasy in, in prayer are my head took off. So clearly she had to pray for a long time before that could happen. So it was this very involved process. And also on the other side of this, Gemma would also 
push yourself, and this this came actually through a type of pride, to take on more mortifications than were necessary. So she had to work with her spiritual director to actually uh, come to this agreement where she would not take on additional penances on the days that she did not have the stigmata because our Lord himself told her that he wanted her to rest then. So she's on both sides of the spectrum, like <laughs> over, um, you know, overdoing it with, with relying on her own um, just, you know, will to, to be able to pray to this extreme level. And then also facing the dryness and the, the lack of will to pray um, where this is particularly highlighted in the diary is her dealings with scrupulosity and her um, struggles with the mass. Sometimes she would try to obviously receive the sacraments as often as possible, but she would also have bouts of scrupulosity even after going to confession and her guardian angel actually admonished her for this at one point saying that, it's actually an act of pride to claim that she knew better than the confessor who was acting in persona Christi, who had just forgiven her sins, told her they're gone. And for her to retain that, that guilt, which obviously comes from her true understanding of how bad sin really is, but to hold on to that beyond what the confessor had already absolved her of was a form of spiritual pride that she had to overcome. So she had very, I would say, nuanced struggles with prayer and, um, but also great joys. She describes the this sort of contest that she and Jesus had where they would see, they would compete to see who would come to visit the other one first. So he would either visit her through a mystical vision or she would visit him by going to the tabernacle and by receiving the Eucharist at mass. And so um, she, I think we see both sides of the, the solace that deep prayer and her ecstasies gave her, but also the the struggle, not only from the world, but also from her own self, her the flesh, the world, the devil, we know are the are the three barriers to to anything in the spiritual life, but to her prayer life, they were manifested in in specific ways that we see exactly how she overcame in each step. Kristen, just a real quick 30 seconds uh for our audience. Uh what is scrupulosity? So scrupulosity is basically uh, a paranoia about sin where we are worried that something that isn't objectively a sin is a sin. We it, This typically happens with sins of thought where you're like, oh, did I fixate on that thought that was introduced into my mind as a temptation or was that just a temptation? And this obsessing and um, ruminating over our own sins and things that could potentially be sins to the point where it becomes uh you know, detrimental to living your life and becomes a handicap to to living your life and to living the spiritual life. It'll often lead people to despair. And that's one of the, the signs of picking up on scrupulosity is, is this person constantly in despair about sin? Because we we should be having a healthy fear of hell, obviously, but having hope as the main underpinning of of our attitude towards sin and to to motivate us to not sin again. Um so yeah, the especially when she leaves confession. Um, yeah, as I mentioned before, this really comes from pride underneath it all because you are thinking still in terms of your own power and not in completely surrendering and giving it over to God. Thank you for that. Kristen Van Uden is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing St. Gemma Galgani's diary, and that is out from Sophia Institute Press. Joe Resinello. 
I, I, I want to make a comment on scrupulosity and then we'll go into uh, another topic to talk about. I mean, you got to allow yourself to be human. I mean, like, obviously, we all are trying to be holy because that's what all as Mother Angelica would say, you know, uh, don't. You know, we're all called to be saints. Don't miss the opportunity. That's 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 accurate. That's very another Italian, by the way. Just wanted to put that on record. Uh, and I think she'll become a saint one day as well. Um, but we're human. You know what I'm saying? And that's where the scrupulosity can come in. You can't be. I don't think God wants us to beat ourselves to death. We do our best every day. You fall, you get back up. You keep going. You don't give up. You keep trying, but you don't beat yourself up. You know, like, like, I think that's important, you know, because some people like you to, to what you said, Kristen, they get crazy. It, it almost becomes like a craziness. Like, like, is that a sin? Well, a, a priest one time told me in confession, many times, if you're asking that father, is that a sin? Many times it's not. <laughs> Do you know? It's simple. Like you use thoughts. It's not a sin, you know? So it's almost like, you know, I'm from New Jersey. It's like lighten up. Relax. Be a human being. You're human. Keep trying. Don't, but don't get crazy. I wanted to throw that out there to everybody because we. No, can't. I think it's. I think it's. I think it is important. I think you know because you have two extremes. You have those who, let's say, um, despair of God's mercy, and you know, then they feel like they've 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 committed some some act, some sin that's unforgivable. That's that we have to avoid that like the plague. And the same thing with going to confession and, you know, confessing things that really are not sinful. I usually ask. I remember before confession, like I'll grab a priest. I'll ask. I'll say, is this just just to be on the safe side? But that's just a matter. That's for my own knowledge. But I, I do think you're right, Joe, is that we have to remember, look, to, to, to use a phrase, it is what it is. The struggle between between people, human beings and, and the world of flesh and the devil, it is what it is, okay? Jesus got nailed to a cross. In other words, he's our savior, all right? When we sin, go to him. Don't presume, it's not to say keep sinning. I'm not, you know, suggesting that. But the idea is that just keep going to him. Keep asking for the grace to grow in holiness. And like you said, don't beat yourself up. The worst thing you could do is stay away from the confessional. The if you beat yourself up, that's the worst thing you could do. Talk about what the devil wants. He doesn't want you in that confessional. All right. So anyway, that's my little comment. Kristen Van Uden or Joe, did you have another? Uh, yeah, I did. I just want to bring the, another the topic, topic for Kristen Van Uden. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned she was mocked. Um, I think that's important to talk about too, from her perspective, but also as Catholics. Now, we're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're, we're not. You know, the, we talked about some other things, surrendering a will, common theme among saints. But like, if you are living a Catholic life, whether you're in religious life, whether you're single, whether you're married, you are not like everybody else. And that could sometimes result in people thinking you're weird or, or you're odd or, or but you're not. You're just not like the world. Christ wasn't like the world. How did that relate to her? But how can we kind of glean from that? Because I'll be truthful with you. You know, they, as the old song goes, they'll know you're Christian by your love. We shouldn't have to tell anyone we're Catholic. People should just know it by the way you live. You're not like everybody else. You don't do things like everybody else. How did she do that? It resulted in her being mocked. Christ was mocked clearly when he was crowned with thorns. But that's the road, by the way in many respects for everybody. It's not something we want, 
but we're not going to be like everybody else. You can't be like everybody else. Yeah, that is, it's a great point. And I think what really comes through in the diary is Gemma's acceptance of these humiliations. And by the time that she sat down to write this, she was pretty advanced in being able to, to emotionally handle these. I know from reading her letters, she is a lot more distressed, at especially her sister's interference with her prayer life. But because of her deep understanding of the humiliations that Jesus went through, because part of her mystical relationship with him was not only to understand his physical suffering of the passion, but also this emotional, spiritual suffering through humiliation that he he went through at the passion is that she accepted these as more occasions of efficacious suffering and she accepted it as how she was living the life of christ in the world so she recognized in herself though that human respect and vanity would have to be cut out for her to be able to get to that point so she even says um here on page 81 she said i was ashamed um, listen, dear father, to what limit my malice or rather my human respect leads me that the mother superior always kept me beside her wherever we were. So she's discussing her experience at a retreat at the local passionist convent and her being worried that she would be seen um, as a favorite and how that would um, make her kind of have a target on her back. So she did feel these things. So it's not about not feeling them. It's about what you do after that. And she was able to transmute those emotions into giving it to Jesus rather than letting it letting it just ruminate and and turn into bitterness in her um and so interestingly she comes to the point where being out in the world the humiliations were painful but the worst thing about being out in the world was that these humiliations and just the the circumstances in which she found herself gave her more near occasions of sin. So she says on page 80 that she was reluctant to return again to those places where there were many occasions of offending Jesus. And she begged for permission to stay in the convent. And of course, we know that was not the path that God had picked out for her. So she was able to get to the point where she accepted the humiliations and wasn't so worried about her own sensibilities being offended, but was rather worried that any of these circumstances would cause an occasion for her to sin because she feared sin more than anything else. She feared it more than the humiliations, more than any of the attacks of the demons. And so by having that clear and correct hierarchy of, of priorities, she was able to endure these humiliations. Thank you for that, Kristen. Uh, let me ask you this obedience. Okay. Uh, for those of you that might be just joining us, we're uh, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, and we're discussing St. Gemma Galgani's diary that is out from Sophia Institute Press. So St. Gemma wrote about how obedience can defeat the enemy and help a person overcome sinful habits, okay? Obedience is a naughty, naughty word nowadays, okay? Because we live in a society that's perverted freedom, the, the, the definition of freedom to the point where that just means you can do whatever you want. We know that that's not true. Um, no society can function. All human behavior has limitations, okay? So you're never completely free, but you have to be obedient. You have to be obedient to an authority. The Obviously, the ultimate authority is God, and he speaks, um, you know, tells us we need to be obedient to his church, okay? So St. Gemma talked about how that can help to defeat the enemy, and we can overcome sinful habits. Talk about that a little bit, Kristen. 
Yes. So one of the themes that comes up time and time again in this book is Gemma's obedience to her spiritual director. And even when she was having mystical visions, and of course, nothing her spiritual director said contradicted what Jesus or Our Lady were telling her. But if she wanted, for example, to see Brother Gabriel on Wednesday and was hoping for that vision, then if her spiritual director told her, no, you must spend time praying today or you must rest today, that would take precedence. And several times, Jesus himself congratulated Gemma when he next came to see her for following the advice of her spiritual director instead of uh, prioritizing a potential mystical experience, because it was that, of course, Jesus placed this hierarchy in place and fidelity to his church is fidelity to him. So he was very pleased with her, even when she was tempted to, to disobey her spiritual director. When uh, of course, she also had to obey the commands of Jesus, Our Lady, and her guardian angel as given to her in the visions. And one of the most clear examples of obedience to her spiritual director was the writing of this diary itself. Um, we see in the lives of the saints that they often think that their stories are not worth telling. So very similar to St. Therese, who was also reluctant to write down her story. She couldn't imagine why anyone would want to read this. And St. Gemma was the same way. But in humility, she followed the direction of her director. And she wrote this down. And there are little phrases sprinkled throughout where she says, oh, if, if anyone ever reads this or I, I am bound to write this because you asked for it. So you can see that sometimes she she doesn't want to write this down, but she's understanding that this is the hierarchy that God has put in place. And um, I think this is this would be a good time to talk about how the book came into existence as well, because clearly her spiritual director did know better in that case, because this book has been so helpful to souls and reading it can only have an edifying effect on souls especially towards reframing our conception of sin. And so when Gemma had finished the manuscript, she put it in her drawer and a demon appeared. And this happened often in her life. So she wasn't too worried about it. It was just a typical temptation that she faced. And this demon actually stole the manuscript from the drawer and said, war be upon you or something like that. And it was gone. And so her spiritual director found out about this and he was not even there physically at the time, but he performed an exorcism remotely over the manuscript. And the next day it was returned to her drawer, completely singed through. So each page had been burnt, but it was still completely legible. So presumably the fires of hell itself had tried to destroy this holy book and had been unable to. And so we see that the power that is invested in this humble priest who was her spiritual director, because he is acting in the person of Christ, and this is the role that he has been invested in by the church, which means by Jesus himself, that hierarchy, of course, has power even over demons. So Gemma's submission to her spiritual spiritual director in all things, especially concerning her extraordinary visions, are another clear sign of the authenticity of these visions, which, of course, the church took into account in approving them and approving her cause for canonization, but also speak to that virtue of humility that she she was doing this for the right reasons, and she understood that fidelity to her director was fidelity to Christ himself. Joe Rossinello, we have time for one more question for Kristen. Obedience is another one of those common themes among saints, you know, and if you look at, like, common themes across centuries and across very different saints, sometimes God will ask them 
through people and through even the church that'll test their obedience. Things that are good, like Padre Pio, you can't have public confessions. And he was obedient. Uh, you know, what, uh, I can't think of the gentleman's name in Rome. He was called the Bishop of Rome. Uh, he also was like, I can't believe I can't think of his name, not Liguori. Um, there's a movie about him on EWTM. But anyway, again, the church asked him to stop his oratory, like to stop it. And he did. That's obedience. I think God tests us through that. And to your point, Kristen, you know, through like an, a person like a spiritual advisor, you got to listen because that's the voice of God. This this saint is very special to you. Why? Clearly she is. I'm, I'm interested. You know what I'm saying? Because I think saints call us like I have certain saints that I'm, you know, interested in. Why? you, Kristen, why you we, Kristen just to give you a heads up, we have about a minute. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so before I read this diary, I hadn't really known much about St. Gemma. I think I got her confused with St. Maria Goretti or other young Italian saints. And so it was really the first time I was learning about her. And what really comes through that inspired me was just her humility in writing this and the fact that she lived out in the world and had to deal with all of this humiliation, I think is very relevant and relatable for today. And also she her her just intense love for Jesus is very inspirational and it's one of the most basic things that we can have but that is ever deepening and it's just like praying the rosary where you say the same prayers over and over but they're 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 never becoming boring they are all oriented towards the same goal and so i've been ever since reading this and i always try to pray for and if they are canonized to um the authors that i represent so i've been praying a lot to gemma in the last couple of months and she's come through for me time and time again so i was recording one podcast about her and the technology was not working and i prayed to saint gemma and then miraculously the zoom meeting worked and clearly just like with getting the diary itself out there she wants this message to get out there. So I would especially recommend her, of course, against temptations, because that is one of the things that she has been crowned by the church as patroness against, especially for temptations of a secular world all around us. Kristen Van Uden, thank you for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. So the book is The Diary of St. Gemma Galgani by St. Gemma Galgani, and that is available at Sophia Institute Press. Kristen, what's the website again? SophiaInstitute.com. There you go. And go on there and look at all their books. OK, uh, Christmas is coming up in a little while. So bottom line is do some shopping, buy some Sophia books and give them to your family and friends. Kristen, thanks again for joining us here, as always. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Thanks once again. And remember, until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.